Good morning. Welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm Ruth Gedechu, a Masters of Public Health student at Macquarie University. And today I'm filling in for your host, Emily, since she has lost her voice. She is here and has promised to write down any questions that pop into her head. So today I am thrilled to be interviewing Dr. Mitchell Smith, a public health physician who is the director of the New South Wales Refugee Health Service. He has made an outstanding contribution to the health and well-being of refugees and asylum seekers in New South Wales and nationally since 1993. His passion for and commitment to the health and well-being of refugees began in the late 1980s when he worked in ooh, when he worked for humanitarian aid agencies in Pakistan and Hong Kong. So welcome Mitchell. Thanks Ruth. How are you today? I'm well. That is good to Better hear. Better than Emily. <laughs> Better than Emily, who has lost her voice. I am here. <laughs> um, so we are both novices at this, so everybody please bear with us. So we'll just ask you a range of questions and we'll kind of go from there. Sound good? It is good, yeah. Perfect. So could you please give us an overview of the New South Wales Refugee Health Service? How long have you got? Um, so <laughs> we started as a very small service around 18 years ago and we were created by the State Health Department in New South Wales and we've slowly grown over those 18 years such that now we have from a small start when we had two staff we now have something like 50 staff working uh, across New South Wales mainly in Greater Western Sydney and that's a mix of people from nursing backgrounds, a medical background, project officers, welfare background, we have a social worker, a dietitian, a whole range of different staff who work together and to try to improve the health of refugees who live in New South Wales. Very, very nice. Wow. And how has the service grown over time? Quite slowly initially. We were very small and uh, for many years only had around eight staff and we just did what we could uh, at that very low level. And then about four years ago we got a funding boost and were able to expand our nursing team and that was to do health assessments for newly arrived refugees and that's been a very successful program. And then just last year we got a second funding boost based on the huge Syrian influx and that again allowed us to um, further expand the nursing team and we've started a very new program which is an early childhood program for refugee families and that's the first of its kind in the country which is great. Nice, nice. Um, what services do you run for refugees when they first arrive? So the face-to-face -face services are, as I said, uh, a nurse-led uh, model which um, operates across metropolitan Sydney. It does operate in other parts of New South Wales, but there are um, other health services that, that run that. The local health districts run that. Um, we cover Greater um, Western Sydney in particular, and when newly arrived families uh, come, we have a nurse that meets and greets them and assesses their health issues and then refers them on to general practice and to other health services as needed. Um, and as I said, the other uh, program we have now is for early childhood, so families with kids under five, um, and they'll, um, they'll assess them and do home visits and refer them to um, you know, any services that they might need and give health education to the parents uh, along the way. So they're, they're the main things targeting new arrivals. We also have um, a health literacy program which raises awareness about the health system, um, so it gives talks to um, groups and families um, so that they better understand various health issues and how to access health care um, here in Sydney. Are the health needs very different depending on country of origin? It can be, and that's one of the things that keeps 
uh, our work interesting because countries of origin changes over time depending on geopolitical factors mm. around the world. And so we've seen in the time I've been here um, huge changes. It started out with uh, Vietnamese refugees I was seeing and then that morphed into people from the Balkans uh, as the Balkans war in the early 90s led to refugees coming here and later in the 90s. Um, then we've seen um, people from Africa, so there's the African influx um, over many years, people from Sudan and countries like that. Um, that was certainly very different with more significant infectious disease issues uh, and nutrition issues. And now most recently it's Middle Eastern people, so those from Iraq and Syria, and so the bulk of our refugees now are from the Middle East. And, and we've seen particularly chronic disease and disability as being the emerging issues in that cohort. Nice, nice. So your commitment to health and well-being of refugees began in the late 1980s. So what first got you interested in public health and specifically refugee health? So I worked for a couple of aid organisations overseas when I was a young clinical doctor, or I thought I was a clinical doctor, <laughs> and, and almost by chance I got roped into some management when I was working with Vietnamese refugees. I was working for Médecins Sans Frontières at that time in Hong Kong, would you believe? Um, so living in a, a very kind of affluent and developed um, location, but traveling each day to refugee camps and, and seeing Vietnamese refugees. Um, so I was a clinician there for six months and then the medical coordinator left and I was um, encouraged to take on the coordination role there so I actually became the manager of the program there and that was my first taste really of, of public health medicine and, and management um, and um, I hadn't done a master's of public health at that stage so I was completely underqualified for that, realised I was and it was only when I came back and did my master's of public health that I thought I wish I'd known this when I was working overseas. <laughs> She's just thinking. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking. <laughs> oh, we can. The, the other thing to say about that is that what got me interested was working overseas and realizing how important where you're born is mm. in terms of your health status, um, how important health literacy is, in other words, how much you know about your, your body and your health, um, and how important access to health care was. So, um, you know, from the, the clinical perspective, um, access is so important and then of course you can broaden that um, uh, to, to the public health uh, of a population. In your career to date what have been the biggest challenges? I would say working in an area of public health which is controversial, political, um, has possibly been one of the greatest challenges. I've had times when my staff um, were not able to tell their relatives, for example, were not able to speak freely to their relatives about the fact that they worked in refugee health because it was such had such a negative vibe at times. Now we, of course, all feel privileged to work in this area, mm. but um, yeah, there have been times through our you know political um, uh, climate here in Australia where it's yeah it's been a very contentious issue, and so that's been one of the greatest challenges and supporting those staff through that. The flip side of course is yeah, we get a lot of um, positive feedback about it and, and, uh, and, and ourselves feel proud to, as I said, to work in the area. Um, 
that's been one of the challenges and also trying to do a when we were very small trying to do as much as we could with what was a very small mm-hmm. service and what was nationally a, still a statewide service it was very hard when it was just myself and a, a say seven staff to to achieve a lot and so that that was certainly very challenging and that's why the fact we've been able to grow has uh, made it much more made it much more capable for us to to achieve things in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, Piggybacking off that, what do you consider to be the biggest health issues currently facing refugees in Australia? Well, I guess it depends whether they're newly arrived or they've been here a while. How long is someone a refugee? There's no answer to that. Um, The answer is it depends. Um, but for new arrivals, as I said, the greatest health issues now are actually um, chronic disease like cardiac disease, diabetes, hypertension. Um, and we've seen an influx of people with disability, which we never saw, and that's been another change. So in around 2012, the federal government made a good policy decision, which was that they would lower the bar essentially for people of refugee background who had significant health conditions. Previously they would have been denied a, a visa based on the likely cost to the, to the Australian health system. That uh, policy changed um, following the review and advocacy, I think, from disability groups and others, which was a good decision, but it certainly, from a humanitarian perspective, but it certainly had implications for uh, services like ours and for health services and disability services, for example, working around Australia, who never used to see people of refugee background, yeah. and now suddenly they're seeing people who've never had any um, access to care for, for their disability, they've never had any rehabilitation mm. or even proper assessment and diagnosis. So that's that's been um, a significant um, change. And you see, sorry. I was just going to ask, is it um, improving over time? Do you have better services? It's still early days, and unfortunately it coincided with the the rollout of the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, so everybody in the disability sector was learning, and so there are still significant challenges. I think we're seeing some headway now. Nice. What are you most proud of in your career to date? Well... um, I guess um, from a professional perspective, building a service from scratch has been very rewarding. I'm proud of that. It's been good. And our achievements are never just my own. Um, All of our achievements depend on us working as a team. Um, You know, I have really good staff and uh, everything that we've achieved is due to my staff, of course. I'm just there guiding them and helping them. Um, but uh, it's always a team effort, which is great. So that's been um, a source of pride, um, our achievements and, and building the service up. Um, I guess um, I've been proud of some of the advocacy that's happened. Um, I can remember my first um, advocacy job was possibly flying to Canberra with um, a gentleman called Dr. Michael Levy, who some people will know, mm-hmm. who um, worked in public health, still does. And we flew to Canberra to advocate for free hepatitis B vaccine for refugees in Australia. I don't know if we were successful or not, but it was certainly um, the start of um, that happening in New South Wales. And um, 
and, and ever since then, I and others have been advocating for the, the health of refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and that's another subset of the um, population we see that I haven't mentioned before. We see um, asylum seekers who are living in Australia who haven't yet got their refugee status. Sometimes they don't have Medicare. Um, so there's a lot of advocacy that has to go on around um, asylum seekers and, and getting them access to health care. So, so I think advocacy is something that's um, been a, a thread throughout, throughout my work. Um, and some of the other things I'm proud of, I guess, is uh, I was lucky, lucky enough to um, get a Public Health Impact Award back in 2010, which you've been quoting from, I see, in front of you. And, uh, and also myself and other colleagues around Australia, um, in the late 2000s, we formed a, an informal national network called Rihanna, not spelled the same as the singer, <laughs> R-H-E-A-N-A, meaning Refugee Health Network of Australia. And um, that's been a, a constant since then. Again, it's um, yeah, it's coming up to eight or nine years now, whereby we get together on a regular basis um, uh, by phone uh, and occasionally face to face. So myself and other colleagues from many different disciplines, not just public health physicians, there are also um, there are, you know, nurses, GPs, um, yeah, project staff who who represent their states on on that network. So that's been a good achievement as well. And any tips for advocacy? Or advocacy? I say advocacy. Is that weird? Yes. Oh, <laughs> advocacy, advocacy. Tips. Hmm. Um, well, I guess one always has to be on the lookout for opportunities. Um, identify where you can have wins. I think there are some areas where you know that the high-level policy is always going to outgun whatever efficacy you think is worthwhile and I've had some tangential involvement for example with the issue of um, health care for asylum seekers offshore, people detained on Manus and Nauru and advocacy in that setting is extremely difficult because whatever you think is the right thing to do from a public health perspective and say in a humanitarian perspective is always going to be trumped and I hesitate to use that term, it's always going to be trumped by the politics, essentially. In other words, you know, the Australian government's um, um, approach to, to that issue. So, so um, yeah, so that that's one tip. I guess not bang your head against a wall if you know you're never going to win there. It doesn't mean you don't still make noises and quietly behind the scenes advocate for people who you think require that. And I guess that's the other advice is that one, one can advocate at many different levels. You can advocate at the individual level for, a, you know, so for that person to get access, say, to a dental clinic when they don't usually have access. You can access at the service level to say, well, you know, the, the proper dental service doesn't exist for that individual. So, you know, you can advocate to, to have a health service create that. And then you can advocate at the systemic or policy level higher up, be it state or national level, um, where you can say, you know, we need a state-wide approach to this issue because these people don't have access to care, something like that. What would you kind of recommend indiv individuals to do to help in terms of if they want to um, advocate or if they want to get involved in something, how can they make that step forward? Because a lot of people, they want to, they are passionate about something and they want to help or do something, but they don't know what avenue to go down. 
Yeah, that can be hard. Um, and we often get people wanting to volunteer for our service, for example. But it's not always easy to use volunteers, especially when you work in the, the mm-hmm. state health system like uh, like I do. Um, so, but I think for individuals who want to help, be it in the refugee realm or, or anywhere else, really, uh, I always advise people to um, just to be well informed, to make sure they know what the facts are, you know, to read widely. Um, from reputable websites <laughs> and other sources, um, and 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 people who work in the field can direct individuals to places to go. Um, you know, so in my field, you know, I recommend that people read, go to the Refugee Council of Australia website. You know, if they want to read about policy and politics of the issues, yeah. go to reputable places like that. Refugee Council of Australia. Go to um, the MSF Doctors Without Borders website if you want to learn about international issues or, or the UN UNHCR site or um, you know, reputable organisations like that. So, so that's one thing to be well informed, um, and secondly, just to to talk to people in the field to to see where you can perhaps um, help. Uh, if there is uh, assistance you can lend, um, uh, where you might be able to make a make a small difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, any advice for new to the field public health professionals, like myself? <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, what advice? Um, I guess to say that it's a very worthwhile profession. Um, jobs can be limited, so it can be competitive, but you've just got to keep trying, and sometimes you can be surprised at what opportunities um, arise. And, and whatever work you're involved in, always keep that public health lens on it. So always be thinking about you know the population that you're working for, always be thinking about um, evidence base. Always be thinking about evaluation and monitoring of what you're doing, so that so that even if you're in a clinical role, um, and, and this is a, going back to the start when I was you know working overseas, um, I, I realised how important it is um, when I got that management role in Hong Kong to be monitoring what we were doing and evaluating what we were doing and, and being critical about about the work. Uh, so so I think in any role one can do that. Um, and and the other thing is, um, encourage your friends to <laughs> and <laughs> colleagues to to think about public health as well, because I think it is very worthwhile. Yeah. Even if one doesn't end up working full time in the field, I think to have studied health from a public health perspective is very worthwhile, whatever role you're in. So whenever I'm lecturing, um, I always do a bit of an ad for public health. Um, so that um, students are aware that it's an option. And what keeps you so motivated and passionate? What keeps me so Well, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just that I've been working in the area for a long time. It's always interesting. I think the fact that it changes so regularly, um, it's never dull. Um, you can never feel totally on top of the work. There's always work there. It's always changing, and each time you think you're kind of getting to know about an area, suddenly the goalposts will move and you, it changes. And so either you know the refugee intake will change, or the Australian government will decide to bring in 12,000 additional Syrian and Iraqi refugees, or Back in '99, when we were getting started, uh, again the Australian government decided to bring in 4,000 people from Kosovo uh, and then 1,800 people from East Timor, and so we were suddenly swamped, myself and my one other 
team member at the time. So, um, yeah, so I think um, I think ongoing interest and passion comes from never being bored. There always being more to do, um, and it's and it's rewarding. So that's that's a big plus. Perfect. Uh, what is the biggest problem you have faced that you still haven't been able to fix? That's a political question, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> well, my answer might be political. Some changes are um, some changes are hard to uh, to implement when you're, you're up against it politically. But um, look, there's lots there's lots of things one can't fix. Um, things don't move rapidly in the bureaucracy necessarily, and you've got to be patient. You've got to keep plugging away, um, advocating, documenting, working for change if you can. Um, and and going back to what I said earlier about advocacy, um, one can be depending on your role and who employs you, you can be either very upfront about your advocacy and um, open and and noisy if you like. But the other form of advocacy is is very quiet in the background. Um, it's often just as effective. It, it it might take longer and you mightn't see the results um, as obviously, but be very effective if you just keep working in the background and, and, and for someone like me who's a, a government employee one's advocacy has to be uh, often at that level you know, quiet and in the background you, you know you can't write letters to the newspaper you can't <coughs> talk to the media um, and, and yeah so you have to approach it in a, a sensible and professional yeah. way yeah of course um, what do you hope to achieve from here on out from here on out all right. Um, what do I hope to achieve? I guess I hope to consolidate the work that we've done um, in refugee health uh, over the last 18 years. I also hope to be able to hand over to a young person like you who can take up the mantle um, and carry on work in, in refugee health. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of interested people to do that. Um, and yeah, so it's good to be able to spread the word to you know to talk to master students we also lecture to you know clinic clinical students medical nursing and others and just raising awareness about the health of refugees trying to improve the way that um, the health system looks after them so so look I just as I said I just hope that we consolidate what we're doing um, and get get more and more people um, informed and, uh, and that'll be that'll be nice nice so, kind of a different question. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any book recommendations of something you have read that inspired you recently, or not so recently, anything like that? So, something that I read some time ago by an Australian author called Geraldine Brooks, who's um, a journalist and who writes fantastic novels, usually based on historical fact. Um, and she wrote one excellent one called Book of Wonders. No, Year of Wonders. Year of Wonders. And it's historical fiction based on the plague, which is a good public health topic. The plague in England in the 1600s. And it's a really interesting novel, um, but based on reality. And it resonates with some of the debates happening in the community now. And, you know, there's there's bigotry and discrimination and uh, um, you know misinformation, but also um, people doing very good things um, with the humanitarian perspective. So 
well worth a read. Perfect. Thank you for that recommendation. That's all we have time for today. Um, thank you very much uh, for your time, Mitchell. Uh, it's been very informative. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next week. Thanks, Ruth.